Broadcasting from the studios of Business Radio X, it's time for Litigator's Lounge. This show is brought to you by Hall Booth Smith, guiding clients through challenging workplace legal issues. Now, here are your hosts. All right. Greetings, legal eagles and curious minds. We are thrilled to have you join us one more time in the virtual chambers of the Litigator's Lounge, the podcast that turns legal talk into captivating conversation. Whether you're a seasoned attorney or just a legal enthusiast, our lounge is open to all who appreciate the art, the science, and sometimes the humor of litigation. I'm Jackie Voronov. I'm here with Shiley Bannon, and the Litigator's Lounge is now open. Let's unwind and sip on some legal brew today, Shiley, huh? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're going to talk about social media in the workplace from both an HR perspective and from sort of a general risk perspective. Since the early days of social media, and for those of us who who remember it, MySpace and those early Facebook days when we needed a college email address, my college, mm-hmm. I think, was the second one that got it. Um, online communications have drastically changed the workplace, how businesses communicate with the public, and how employees represent and affect their employers. Social media usage affects so many different aspects of a business's operation, and businesses think that they can create a policy that addresses all of it, but really what happens is this policy addresses one of the concerns but may very well violate an employee right that's afforded by either federal labor employment law or even a state labor and employment law. Uh, So our goal today is to highlight some of the different scenarios that social media use arises in in the workplace and discuss considerations that employers need to have when crafting social media policies. So, Jackie, one of the first things I want to talk about is the prolific use of social media in the workplace and just where we see it. And to be fair, I really love social media. Why? Well, I'm I'm I guess I'm one of those generation. I subscribe to all of those lawyer and office workplace joke and satire websites like you were just talking about employee tears. Um I'm a huge fan. Oh, I'll tell you. I'm going to be honest with you. I have much like my bathroom scale, I have a very love-hate relationship with social media. I just think that we live in this era of chronic oversharing. I, I don't know when it became interesting to people, like what other people are eating, like the food shots, like all of my crazy family members coming out of the woodwork on Facebook and coming at me all the time. I think it's exhausting. So I don't know how I feel. From from a personal perspective, I think social media can be a lot of fun. It's funny. There's humor. The internet is a wacky place. From a defense lawyer perspective, everything to me is cringy. I think I think that people don't realize that everything you put out into the public space has very legal consequences, and Instagram posts and Facebook posts are evidence, right? So this intersection between social media and the workplace, it's a legal tightrope, right? We have to carefully walk this, this fine line, and I don't think that people really understand what's involved in that. You hear, I mean, how many stories have you heard about people losing their jobs over what they're posting on social media? It's all cancel culture, right? Somebody writes something that someone else doesn't agree with, and then you have mob mentality calling for, he's got to go, she's got to go, fire them, cancel them, kill them, banish them to the, you know, 
bowels and the recesses of the interwebs never to be heard from again. Right. Let me get my cyber pitchfork out. It's what's um, happening, right? Though I, th- though I have to say I am a little personally attacked because I do have a food uh, blog for all of the food that I cook, but that's okay. You post pictures of your of your meals and your I, things that you make all the time? Yes, it is. Um, it is my outlet and it makes me happy. So... <laughs> Well, I mean, as long as you're happy. Um, you know, the thing that I've seen that that does make me cringe, like you were saying, is I will see things where where lawyers are posting reels or Snapchats of them in their office being like they're Meghan Markle on suits. And mm-hmm. I can look at the picture and I will see uh, client documents behind them. I will see work product behind them. And I know that if you have a good enough computer, you can freeze that and zoom in and see that. Or I follow healthcare accounts and I see doctors and nurses doing TikTok dances in the hallways of hospital hospitals. And I, I just sort of cringe a little bit because I think of a zillion ways that these videos and posts can be used in malpractice cases, whether they're legal malpractice cases, trade secret cases, medical malpractice cases, or other kinds of litigation. Um, so one of the things that I'm always worried about when I'm representing a business uh in a a litigation matter involving personal injury, for example, or commercial litigation is I want to find out what the people who were involved in the incident were doing when that incident occurred, especially online. And uh, I'm hoping that that first level of investigation done internally has already started addressing this. Um, Is that something that you see in any of your cases? I mean, less so on the employment law side of things. There's a whole other can of worms when it comes to the legal issues associated with that. I'm thinking, you know, to your point, when it comes to healthcare, I guess the question that I would have for you is like, so if somebody's claim, is the scenario typically that somebody's claiming that they didn't get, you know, appropriate care delivered, and then you look on social media only to see that the nurses and the doctors were choreographing a dance in the hallway around that same time? Sure. That's that's one of the scenarios. Or, for example, in a negligent security case at like a hotel or um, a, a casino or something, a lot of times the employers will have these policies and procedures that security guards, for example, over the night shift are supposed to be doing these patrols. And if somebody breaks into an apartment and somebody's attacked in their home or in their hotel room, and I find out that the security guard who was supposed to be doing these patrols and having their eyes on everything that's going around is sitting on his computer uh, posting videos or talking to his friends through through DMs, then obviously he's not looking out for the for the residents or for the guest safety. And it's so easy to have that digital footprint and to figure out to the minute what they were doing, where they were doing it, and how how easy is that to show a jury and inflame a jury's passions candidly that this person is shirking their job. Right. What if they're online looking at all of your food pictures? Is it excusable? Um, no, I think that I would probably uh, be in trouble for that. And I will say that that candidly, my food pictures are probably not that interesting. <laughs> I'm going to have to check them out because I need to find out what's, go- what's out there in the public world. But that's the thing, right? Like once you know that something's out there, you want to dig and find and 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 kind of investigate. Like for me to go back to your earlier point about what I'm seeing on the employment side of things, for me, social media is fantastic for research, not just about the parties, but about the attorneys that are involved, 
about the mediators that are involved. And I am not kidding you when I tell you, I am like level 10, ex-girlfriend level crazy, should be working for the FBI, you know, will find everything there is about you because it's there and people cannot help themselves. People want to post. They want to share. It's made people who've never felt relevant before suddenly feel like everyone is listening and it's addictive. And the plaintiffs in a lot of my cases, especially sex harassment cases, love to put things out there. They could be, you know, suggestive photographs, hashtag, you know, spring break, hashtag couples goals. Everything is a hashtag. And we go digging. We'll find it. We're ruffling through your social media trash. And, you know, one of the funnier situations I had, we had a trial and the plaintiff was literally live tweeting from trial. And they were posting things on Twitter, on Twitter, being like, cha-ching, about to get paid, make that money. And like little pay, like money was raining down on these gifs or gifs or whatever. Were and, you able, were you able to bring that into evidence? Oh, heck yeah. We were like, oh. um, excuse me. We, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're going to, get cash out, like paid out today? I don't think so. The jury did not like it. And, you know, great for me. I don't know what plaintiff side lawyers are telling their clients when it comes to social media. Um, I go digging from the get-go. As soon as a case is assigned to me, I'm sending out a preservation letter saying you are not to alter anything in your client's social media profiles, right? That's preservation. All right, but let's talk about the flip side. You're talking about how it's really good when you find the plaintiff or an adverse party or an adverse witness or even jurors doing things like that. But what happens when you're representing a company or an employer and you go digging around in social media because it's always going to be us that finds it first, hopefully, and not the other side, and you find the manager who's posted all these racist things about who they have to hire or how they just wish that people would get back to work and they hate people with kids, or they're so hungover when they're coming to work and they're supervising patient care. Uh, what do we do when we see those kinds of posts? And what can employers do to try to prevent that? I wish that all of those examples that you just said were made up and they're all real. That's the sad thing, right? Um, employers like a lot of companies have policies in place, right? They'll put in their handbook. They'll have a um, a gag order, essentially. They'll tell employees, you know, you should not be going on the internet and saying anything that reflects poorly on the company, on your coworkers, on your supervisors. Um, be mindful of what you post. And a lot of the times they're just telling people, don't say this. And unfortunately, having a policy that broadly prohibits any type of negative feedback about your organization is illegal. You can't do that. The NLRA, um, which is the National Labor Relations Act, a lot of people haven't heard of it because they think that union and labor laws don't apply to them, but that's a mistake because they do. Um, the National Labor Relations Board does have the authority to enforce its you know, authority in both union and non-union settings. Um, and the NLRB has been very clear that gag orders and broad policies that prohibit employees from talking about work conditions are illegal. Um, so, for example, companies aren't allowed to say never talk negatively about us all of the time. 
companies are not allowed to say, um, you should never discuss your wages. That's fair game. The law allows you to discuss your conditions of work, your wages, what you're making, because the NLRB interprets that as, you know, conditions of employment and you're taking steps to improve workplace conditions. That's all protected activity. And, and the magic language in the NLRA is the protected and concerted activity, right? That's the one. Yep. And and for those of us who are maybe new to learning about the NLRA, uh, those of us who maybe thought that it only applied to places that had unionized workplaces or a certain number of employees that are more than what it actually applies to, what is protected and concerted activity? Um, okay. So a couple of examples. And again, this is not exhaustive because there's millions. Everything is fluid. Everything is always case specific. Um, here's a couple of things that the NLRB has said you're not allowed to do, right? As an employer, what you can't tell your employees not to do. You can't prohibit your employees from discussing um, your, com- you can't just say generically, don't talk about company information online. Company information is way too broad. It's not defined. So any policy that says don't discuss us or the company is already unlawful, according to the NLRB. You can't prohibit employees from making statements that, to use their language, is detrimental, disparaging, or defamatory, um, or from expressing employee dissatisfaction. So like we brought up earlier, there's that account um, on Instagram, Employee Tears, where Basically, millions of people go and vent and complain and bitch about their their employers. Um, that's that's above board. You're allowed to do that. You can't tell your employees not to t- to express their dissatisfaction with where they work. Um, you can't prohibit um, employees from friending coworkers. We've seen policies where people say, you know, work is work, personal is personal, and never the two shall meet. You can't do that. People are allowed to speak. So anything that can be purported to chill employees from talking to other employees, that's a no-go. Um, what I had a I had a boss once who told me when I was a teenager, you know, don't discuss your pay with anybody else. It's very personal. Don't don't tell other people what you're making because then we'll have to give other people raises and then, you know, we'll go out of business and we won't be able to give you what you're making. Uh, and and going into law school and learning how wrong that was under the NLRA. And I still hear about that. That's that's one that that people talk about often. That's a big no-no. They still do that in like Fortune 500 companies, you know, <laughs> You'll tell people, we don't want people discussing their wages. That's the biggest no-yo of them all. That's that's like the number one thing, especially in the world of pay equity, with all the laws now about gender parity and, and bridging and closing the pay inequality gap, um, telling people, women especially, that they're not allowed to talk about what they're making in an effort to improve and and push forward this idea of transparency it's surprising to me. I don't know what else to say other than why would you have something like this? Um, but they do. They do. Because so long as you get away with it and nobody's come banging down your door yet, people think, well, let's let's see how long we can ride this one out, right? But there are some good ways to uh, have employers encourage employees to use social media about their company in a in a positive way, right? We can we can promote uh the brand of the employer, the management brand. We can imp- imp- uh we can ask employees to follow 
the employer on certain social media sites like Facebook, like LinkedIn. We can ask them to re-promote company company news and to stay informed and make them feel like they have an ownership in the brand itself and the success of the brand and make them feel like they have buy-in. That's one of the things we can do. I mean, I agree with you. I think that asking people to to do certain things versus asking them not to say certain things, that's the distinction, right? So in in the former, you're telling people, hey, just, you know, be a team player and get on board. In the latter, you're you're silencing an employee and that's where you're going to get into hot water. Unfortunately, I'm a little bit, you know, OCD and I do think that even asking employees to subscribe to your channel, to your brand, and asking them to take on a viewpoint that they might not necessarily agree with, that's a slippery slope too. I can I can see the complaints writing themselves already by, you know, on free speech, religious, you know, discrimination grounds. Like my employer, I'm a devout Catholic and I don't agree with abortion, but my my company forces me to love them and they pay for abortions. Like who knows, right? There's always there's always something wrong, you know, and it's our jobs to be aware of them and then pivot and deal with them. Um, Who knows? Maybe there would even be an overtime claim for people having to like and repost social media on their off hours. Right? Haven't seen that one yet. That's a good one. Oh. I bet it's out there. I bet it's out there. Don't give anybody any ideas. I, I won't. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right. um, we'll be ready. And one of the other things that we see, though, is we see people, uh, employees recording on their jobs. We'll see videos that go viral mm-hmm. of the the Karens, the bad bad right. guests, bad customers that come in, um, and they're they're shaming customers, and, and that's not good for employers either. If if customers don't feel safe coming into a business, what can an employer do about that? Well, the question that I would have, just from a practical standpoint is what are your employees doing? I mean, did you see there was a video recently about the employees who wouldn't let Jewish customers, I don't think it was Starbucks or or one of the chain brands, but it was a smaller coffee shop on the West Coast that three of their employees literally blocked the bathroom entrance and wouldn't let a woman use the bathroom. And it was recorded. The whole thing ended up online. And I think that's, you know, Everything nowadays is subject to, you know, a big brother kind of who's listening, who's watching, who's taping. Everybody's got a phone in their hand. So you're right. I mean, everything you say and do, what can you do to prevent it from getting out there? I I wish I had the magic answer. Um, Not, you know, you can have a policy and you can, you know, hope that your employees are on board. You have proper training. You have written guidance in effect that explains to staff, you know, the boundaries and and the lines that they can't cross. Um, Blocking Jewish people from using bathrooms is certainly one of those things that you would think goes without saying, but I guess not, you know. Here's the thing that's really important to remember. Employers can't police all employee conduct. It's just not possible, right? But you can clarify for your people what constitutes hate speech, what constitutes bullying, what's retaliation, what's discriminatory conduct on social media. And in that regard, you absolutely, not only can you do it, you should do it. You have an obligation as a company to have these policies in place to remedy, prevent, um, and address bullying and harassment, especially 
I mean, with how prevalent it is on social media now, right? Well, we see employers, and I know that when when we've done handbook consulting, we always want to make sure that employers have an anti-harassment and anti-bullying policy in place. Uh, But I think that what companies really need to pivot to also is, is making sure that that policy addresses online communications. What happens, for example, if you have a coworker who's very polite to you in the office, in the workplace setting, but then starts sending you threatening or harassing messages online or through your DMs on social media? Is that something that you can bring to your employer and say, hey, Susie is sending me these messages, even though she's smiling at me when we're on the clock? Uh, what What is the employer to do? So, yes, I mean, it's happened before. Um, you know, in that scenario, it's more of a direct threat that some, you know, somebody's at work is nice to me, but offline they're torturing me and they're harassing me. So the employer does have an obligation to, you know, it becomes more of a different sort of sin- claim, I guess, for lack of a better word in that case. Like, what are you doing to protect your people? If you are allowing, you know, Susie the bully to come to work and create this environment, I mean, you've now been put on notice that she's a bigot or she's a bully or she's a whatever the case may be, right? But Susie's not creating the environment at work, is she? Well, it doesn't matter. It's work outside of work. It's everywhere. You're, you're, the employer hat doesn't come off just because it's not nine to five or because you leave the office. We have, Employers have an obligation to go beyond what just happens at the office. Your policy, if you have a social media policy, which you should as an employer, um, if you don't, uh, call me ASAP. We'll get you on. We'll get you all squared away. But your social media policy needs to be very explicit that harassment, threats of violence, unlawful conduct is unlawful. It will be prohibited. You'll be subject to discipline up to and potentially being terminated. You can and you should have that policy in place. And I think that that will go a long way towards making people feel more secure and also like their employers have their backs. I want to circle back around, though, to one thing that you mentioned earlier when you were describing yourself as the crazy ex-girlfriend level of stalking. And I fully support that. I had a witness (laughs) actually describe that, describe me that way once when I tracked them down to get a witness statement. Uh, But what happens if an employer Uh, is that level of zealous in terms of doing these big social media searches on candidates, especially certain candidates, during a hiring search? What happens if you have this candidate that goes through your very rigorous application process that's been vetted by HR, and then you have a manager who says, I'm going to go the extra step, and I'm going to go do a deep dive on all their social media what what kind of risks do employers have if that's what's happening and and what kind of education should they be giving to people involved in the hiring process about social media searches on candidates yeah so the use of social media in background searches is very popular now um immediately one of the first things they do after um recruiting and having an initial interview it's very common to go online and do a deep dive into that employee The problem is what you're doing is you're running the potential for discriminatory hiring practices claims. Um, If you're looking at an applicant's profile and your purpose, however well-intentioned it might be, right? You might say to yourself, we want to go find desirable candidates, um, but what you're finding reveals their race, their sexual orientation, 
It reveals their gender identity, national origin, religion. I mean, you name it, right? All the protected characteristics, um, things that aren't necessarily revealed in a resume. And once you have that information, an, a job candidate could potentially come back and claim that they were adversely affected by that prospective employer's use of social media background searches. Because if that search yields information that wouldn't otherwise be available, um, now you could be liable for discrimination. And so what do you, what should HR professionals or hiring or recruiting professionals, what should they do in terms of training or advising other people within the company who may be involved, limited in in hiring processes for separate uh, positions about doing those social media searches? Tell them not to at all? I mean, I wouldn't go to the level, you know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It's It's one thing to just do a Google search and type in, you know, John Smith, see what populates, find out if they're an axe murderer or, you know, find out something. It's quite another to start really digging and deep diving and then going on Instagram, looking up who their friends are, looking at the mutual connections, looking up where they had dinner in 2012. I mean, a very like a very limited search, I think that you could get away with. But when you start trying to really become invasive, I think that you're you're going to have a hard time explaining yourself as to what the bona fide reason for this was. You also have to look at what the job is, right? Is this a, a position that involves, you know, patient care? Is this a position that involves, you know, a nursing home and caring for elderly and you're trying to find out if somebody's, you know, an abuser? Um, what are your motivations? If you're just digging for the sake of digging, I could tell you you're going to have a problem. You know, you give that example again about looking for what they ate in 2012 at a restaurant. And Jackie, I really am starting to think that you have something against food-related social media content. Maybe I do. Maybe I have this deep-seated implicit bias that I need to root out. I don't know. Maybe I need my own training. Oh, my goodness. Well, maybe I'm very glad that you weren't looking me up before I got hired. My goodness. I don't know why you think I didn't. <laughs> well, you didn't find my food, uh, my food blog. Well, you know, I I kind of just got busy, I guess. But now I'm going to go further into this, and I want to know all there is to know about Shiley Bannon, the food critic. Uh, the Instagram site is Epicurean Esquire. I'm not using this as a as a as an advertisement for my own personal brand, but since you asked, that's what it is. You are a woman of many facets. I will tell you that much. I love learning new things about you every single day. Uh, so one thing I do want to get back to, though, is the risk aspect of social media use in the workplace. We're talking about some of the employment aspects of this, but I handle, like I said, a lot of personal injury uh, and malpractice cases. And there was a big article and a big scandal that happened here in Jacksonville a few years ago where some uh, nurses at uh, a hospital here in Jacksonville that is a government entity uh, were posting on Snapchat videos of babies in the newborn nursery that they were taking care of, and they were making the babies dance to rap music and and captioning the videos with sort of derogatory terms about these babies. And those videos were leaked and got out. Uh, so that raises a lot of questions, obviously. First, there's a big issue with patient confidentiality. You should never be taking pictures or video recordings of patients. Uh, number two, they're obviously fooling around rather than taking care of the babies. Uh, 
And number three, it kind of revealed what their maybe what they thought was funny, but what people could perceive to be their true thoughts about their jobs were. And ultimately, they were disciplined, they were removed from their positions. But if the company or if the if the employer had had a policy that simply said, you can't bring your so your personal devices, you can't bring recording devices into patient care settings, for example, or into sensitive settings, that was something that would have helped. So it's not prohibiting social media use, and it's not prohibiting discussions about social media, but that employer did not do a good job of making sure that the social media devices and personal devices would not be a distraction to employees while they were focusing on a task that involved safety of customers, safety of patients, et cetera. Uh, And that's a policy that I always recommend to my clients that they focus on. If they have employees who have a safety-oriented job, obviously it's different for me sitting at my desk as a lawyer. I'm not going to I'm not going to hurt anybody by looking at my phone during the day, but if I'm a surgeon and I'm looking at my phone while I'm operating on somebody's kidney, it's a different story. So looking at each job position and deciding how social media or how personal device policies can uh, Im- can be implemented to be tailored to that job's requirements, that's something that I always encourage uh, my clients to do. Yeah, I think that in healthcare, um, healthcare, long-term care, um, aging services, it's not only, again, it's not only allowed, but encouraged to have a policy in place based on just HIPAA regulations that you shouldn't be recording anything involving a resident, a patient, um, just because uh, there's privacy laws in place, right? So if, if you don't have a policy on, from an employer's standpoint that re-ups on the law, um, yeah, there's there's risk involved in that for sure. And I think that another place uh, that you could contemplate having those kinds of prohibitions or very strong guidelines would be in places where you're working on production or design of things or items or ideas that are very heavily protected by trade secret or proprietary business information. For example, if you're the person in charge of mixing the spices for Colonel Sanders' 27 spices that go into the KFC breading, you probably should not have your cell phone there recording while you are mixing the big vat of spices. Is that is that fair to say? Well, that happened recently. I mean, not with KFC, but I remember there was a couple of years ago, um, a case for, I think it was like Sherwin-Williams. The employee was like super excited about coming up with like some paint mixture um, and videotaped it and then posted it. And Sherwin-Williams fired him because they said, you know, you're revealing our secret sauce. Um, That was upheld, you know, but. And I think that, that you also have to look at state laws about non-competes and trade secrets and and uh, recording, for example, uh, I recently was in California and I live in Florida. So even though we both have beaches, it is a very different world in California. Mm. Um, and I met with a, a girlfriend of mine and I was amazed for her to tell me that California has completely 100% banned non-compete provisions in uh, in employment contracts and in employment agreements. And in Florida. In Florida, they are completely allowed. They are 100% allowed. They are allowed in even the most base uh, kind of jobs. Uh, you could do it with a with a, a fast food worker if you wanted to in Florida. So, um, 
So it's really very state dependent what you can restrict and what you can't as well. Well, California is, I'm not even going to say anything about California. I'm going to backtrack and keep my mouth shut about California. We'll save that for another podcast or three. Well, I mean, she. I need more lychee martinis if I'm going to get into all the problems with California and how busy my California clients keep me. Well, she explained to me that that is also one of the reasons that there has been as much innovation and development in Silicon Valley as there has been because people are able to move and take things with them a little bit more freely. Um, And I assume that it also creates a very healthy market for IP and uh, trade secrets attorneys out there. (laughs) Well, We'll find out. Well, they definitely do. And if Governor Hochul in New York puts pen to paper any day now, they're going to ban non-competes in New York, too. And then will you be able to complain about it on social media? Um, I can complain about everything on social media. (laughs) You have not met. You know, you should meet my mother. There's somebody who can complain about anything on social media. Oh, uh, I'm sure that all of the local businesses are aware of her Google reviews account, right? Well, you know what? I'll tell you, a few years ago, we were at Thanksgiving and I found out she had a Twitter account. And I I was just like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And I'm looking, we shut her down. I was like, you know, you're a reflection of me. We are, we are blocking this immediately. And, you know, from our, (laughs) I put a gag order on my mother, even though I can't put one on my employees, (laughs) you know? Uh, What about disclaimers? Can you talk a little bit about disclaimers that if you do have an employee who has a LinkedIn account, for example, I've seen some companies that that have employees put a disclaimer on their LinkedIn page that says all of the views expressed here are my own. When when should an employer encourage employees to do that? Uh, When is it required? What are some of the considerations that you need to be thinking about? Always. I think that an employer should always say to employees, you know, for me, when I craft a compliant, and the operative word here is compliant social media policy, um, one of the things that we do for our clients is is handbooks, right? And we've revamped the handbooks year over year because the NLRB just keeps changing and making things more and more off limits. Um, There is nothing wrong Currently, I don't know what the NLRB will do next year or next month for that matter. But as of today, December 12th or December 14th, you can say to your staff, you know, we understand that social media is, um, you know, we we encourage you to, you know, have relationships and be friendly and, and be social and what have you. And we're not meant, we're not looking to infringe on your speech. However, when posting, please be mindful of the following you know, guidelines or best practices. And then you say to your staff, you know, please put on your page, whatever, um, the opinions expressed herein are mine and mine alone and do not reflect my company or whoever I work for. That's okay to always ask your people to say. Um, And like I said before, you can always ask staff not to post anything that could be discriminatory, harassing, bullying, um, a threat to somebody else. All of that is fair game. it, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody to act, to make sure that they delineate between the views that are theirs and the views that are their company, right? The views that I talk about on this podcast are mine and mine alone. They don't st- represent and they're not imputed to Hallbooth Smith. Um, and, and that's okay. Well, hopefully Hallbooth Smith is very proud of our views here. I hope um, so. <laughs> um, well, I think that, Jackie, we have given our listeners some really good tips to at least start thinking about. 
Uh, and I think that it is probably time for us to get back to work or get back to the lounge, whichever way we want to go. Oh, uh, lounge. I vote lounge. 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 Okay, I'll be I'll meet you there right after I finish posting the pictures of the lasagna I made for dinner last night. Meat or vegetable? Don't answer Always. that. If you say vegetable, I will not be able to like talk to you. Oh my gosh, I think this might be the end of litigator's lounge then. <laughs> Fine. Ugh, Shiley, I had no idea we had so many differences. It was a very good lasagna. Next time you're in Florida, I'll make it for you. Um, All right. In, until next time, this is Shiley Bannon and Jackie Varnov signing out from the litigator's lounge. Stay informed, stay empowered, and have a great day. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on Litigators Lounge. This show is brought to you by Hall Booth Smith, helping clients navigate the complexities of workplace legal issues. For more information, go to hallboothsmith.com. Litigators Lounge is a production brought to you by Hall Booth Smith. This podcast is published for the purposes of providing general information and education on topics which include those related to the law and legal issues, but the contents of this podcast do not constitute legal advice. Listening to this podcast or utilizing the information contained in it in any way does not constitute nor does it create an attorney-client relationship between you and Hall Booth Smith or its lawyers. The contents of this podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a professional attorney licensed in your jurisdiction.